As I grow older, may the Emperor protect me. I find I measure my history in terms of milestones. Those occurrences of such intense moment, they will never pass from one's memory. My induction into the blessed orders of the Inquisition. My first day as a neophyte assigned to the great Hapshant. My first successful prosecution. The heretic Lemite sire. My elevation to full inquisitorial rank at the age of twenty-four standard years. The long-drawn-out Nassar case. The affair of the Necrochuk. The Pigleo conspiracy. Milestones, all of them. Marked indelibly on to the engrams of my memory. And alongside them, I remember the dark night that came at the end of the month of Umbris, Imperial Year 338.M41, with particular clarity. For that bloody end was the start of it, the great milestone of my life. I was on Lethe 11, under instruction from the Ordo Xenos, deep in work, with the accursed xenophile Beldame Sadia almost in my grasp. Ten weeks to find her, ten hours to close the trap. I had been without sleep for three days, without food and water for two. Psychic phantoms triggered by the dark night eclipse were roiling in my mind. I was dying of binary poison. Then Tantalid turned up. To appraise you, Lethe Eleven is a densely populated world at the leading edge of the Helican subsector, its chief industries being metalwork and shield technologies. At the end of every Umbris, Lethe's largest moon matches, by some cosmological coincidence, the path, orbit, and comparative size of the local star, and the world is plunged into eclipse for a two-week period known as the Dark Night. The effect is quite striking. For the space of fourteen days, the sky goes a cold, dark red, the hue of dried blood, and the moon, Cux, dominates the heavens, a peerlessly black orb surrounded by a crackling corona of writhing amber flame. This event has become, students of imperial ritual will be unsurprised to learn, the key seasonal holiday for all Lethians. Fires of all shape, size, and manner are lit as dark night begins, and the population stands vigil to ensure that none go out until the eclipse ends. Industry is suspended. Leave is granted. Riotous carnivals and firelit parades spill through the cities. Licentiousness and law-breaking are rife. Above it all, the dark fire of the eclipsed sun halos the black moon. There is even a tradition of fortune-casting, grown up around the interpretation of the corona's form. I had hoped to catch the Beldame before Dark Knight began, but she was one step ahead of me. Her chief poisoner, Pi, who had learned his skills in early life as a prisoner of the renegade Dark Eldar, so the story went, managed to plant a toxin in my drinking water that would remain inert until I ingested the second component of its binary action. I was a dead man. The Beldame had killed me. My servant, Amos, accidentally discovered the toxin in my body, and was able to prevent me from eating or drinking anything further. But graceless death beckoned me inexorably. My only chance of survival was to capture the Beldame and her vassal Pi, and extract the solution to my doom from them. Out in the dark streets of the city, my followers did their work. I had eighty loyal servants scouring the streets. In my rooms at the Hippodrome I waited, parched, unsteady, distant. Ravenor came up trumps. Ravenor, of course. With his promise, it wouldn't be long before he left the rank of interrogator behind, 
and became a full inquisitor in his own right. He found Beldame Sadia's lair in the catacombs beneath the derelict church of St. Chiodrus. I hurried to respond to his call. You should stay here, Beckwin told me, but I shook her off. I have to do this, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Beckwin was by that time 125 years old. She was still as beautiful and as active as she had been in her thirties, thanks to discreet augmetic surgery and a regime of juvenet drugs. Framed by the veil of her starch silk dress, her handsome face and dark eyes glared at me. It will kill you, Gregor, she said. If it does, then it is time for Gregor Eisenhorn to die. Beckwin looked across the gloomy candlelit room at Amos, but he simply shook his ancient augmented skull sadly. There were times, he knew, when there was simply no reasoning with me. I went down into the street, where canister fires blazed and masked revellers capered and caroused. I was dressed all in black, with a floor-length coat of heavy black leather. Despite that, despite the flames around me, I was cold. Fatigue and the lack of nourishment were eating into my bones. I looked at the moon, threads of heat around a cold black heart. Like me, I thought. Like me. A carriage had been called for. Six painted hippings, snorting and bridled, teamed to a stately landau. Several members of my staff waited nearby and hurried forward when they saw me emerge onto the street. I assessed them quickly. Good people all, or they wouldn't have made the cut to be here. With a few wordless gestures, I pulled out four to accompany me and then sent the rest back to other duties. The four chosen mounted the carriage with me. Mesha Kuss, an ex-imperial guardsman from Vladislav, Arianod Esu Svedir, the swordswoman from Carthay, and Berenice and Zhu Zeng, two females from Beckwin's distaff. At the last moment, Berenice was ordered out of the carriage, and Elizabeth Beckwin took her place. Beckwin had quit active service with me sixty-eight standard years before, in order to develop and run her distaff, but there were still times she didn't trust her people and insisted on accompanying me herself. I realized this was just such a time, because Beckwin didn't expect me to survive, and wanted to be with me to the end. In truth, I didn't expect to survive either. The carriage started off with a whip-crack, and we rumbled through the streets, skirting around ceremonial fires and torch-lit processions. None of us spoke. Cus checked and loaded his autocannon and adjusted his body armour. Arianod drew her sabre and tested the cutting edge with one of her own head hairs. Zhu Zeng, a native of Vitria, sat with her head down, her long glass robes clinking with the carriage's motion. Beckwin stared at me. What? I asked eventually. She shook her head and looked away. The church of St. Chiodrus lay in the waterfowlers' district, close to the edge of the city and the vast, lizard-haunted salt licks. The darkness throbbed with insect rhythms. The carriage stopped in a street of blackly rotting stone pilings, two hundred meters short of the church's wrecked silhouette. The sky was amber darkness. Behind us, the city was alive with bright points of fire. The neighborhood around us was a dead ruin, slowly submitting to the salty hunger of the marshes. Talon wishes Thorn, rapturous beasts within, Ravenna said over the Vox link. Thorn impinging multifarious, the blades of disguise, I responded. My throat was dry and hoarse. Talon observes moment, Taurus pathway requested. Pattern, ebony. Pattern denied. Pattern crucible. Rose Thorn wishes hiatus. Confirm. We spoke using glossier, an informal verbal code known only to my staff. 
Even on an open Vox channel, our communications would be impenetrable to the foe. I adjusted my Vox unit's channel. Thorn wishes Aegis to me. Patton Crucible. Aegis arising, Betancourt, my pilot, responded from far away. Patton confirmed. My gun cutter, with its fabulous firepower, was now inbound. I looked at the others in the shadow as I drew my weapon. Now is the time, I told them.